The scripture passage this morning is actually really brief. We've been doing these long passages in Daniel uh, this summer, but just a few verses. This morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. We're doing a one-off Vision Sunday message, if you will. And then starting next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll begin a series in 1 Corinthians. But today, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to find that passage and follow along with us. The passage will be up here on the screen, and I will just say one encouraging thing while you're looking for that passage, which is that uh, you see Jay Han leading uh, worship for the first time in a few weeks, and the good news is, is it seems as though their son Griffin will be coming home from the NICU this afternoon. Uh, so praise God for that and be praying for them. It's been a very uh, interesting and difficult journey for them. I also want to thank the church family. I'm not just saying this. I know this from Jay and Rochelle, uh, that you all have cared for them really, really well. Uh, and so we praise God for you. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of and the honoring of God's word. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, our desire is to be convinced this morning that the kingdom of heaven is this valuable. Every single one of us has room to grow, even those of us who would say that we are a part of it and walking with Jesus. Certainly, we, we have beheld maybe 5% of that value. And there are people here who are not walking with Jesus. I just pray this morning that the radiance of the king would be manifest and that people would be in awe of this opportunity that we have to be the king's people and one day be in the king's place. Holy Spirit, would you move in great power? Would you set the stage this morning for what we hope will be a, just a, a spectacular fall in spring? of spiritual growth and vitality, and of serving sacrificially in our city. Go before us, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Classical music fans might be familiar with Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. The melody line of this piece makes this gradual ascent, almost into the heavens, and then it swings back around, and it does it again and again, just, just soaring. I don't know if there's walk-up music when you get to heaven. I kind of hope so. Maybe it would be this, but it's, prob it's probably Lecrae or something like that. <laughs> I would try to sing it to you. I would try to hum it to you or something, but I need to tell you that the only reason I got through the vocal part of my music theory class at UF is that my professor did not want me to go back through and do that again. Pass. I was like a, like a parakeet with asthma or something like that. When you, when you visit Yosemite National Park, 
you take all of these winding roads through the mountains, and then you go through this tunnel. And then when you come on to the other side of the tunnel, it's just bam. If you, you know this, if you've seen it, Yosemite value is just there in all of its glory. You have the trees and the mountains and the waterfalls and the blue skies. And now imagine that you've synced up that Samuel Barber piece to crescendo right when you come out of the tunnel. And now imagine that you're making this drive through the mountains in a brand new Lamborghini. And you're really well rested because even though you live in Gainesville, duh, where else are you going to live? You casually flew on a private jet that morning into the Fresno Yosemite International Airport, and you picked that particular airport because the airport code is FAT, and you found that rather amusing. And then imagine that you pull into this small parking lot with a great view of the valley so you can take some pictures of it with your phone, and then when you reach into your pocket to pull out your phone, you remember that Powerball lottery ticket you bought and hadn't looked at yet, and wouldn't you know it, you won. $423 million after taxes. And then when you look back at your phone to text your family the fortunate news, although maybe not all your family, if you know what I mean, you get a push notification from ESPN telling you that your favorite team has won that championship. Did you know that the kingdom of heaven is infinitely more beautiful and valuable than all of those things combined? And I mean know it, know it in your heart and really believe it. And did you know that gaining and enjoying that kingdom will cost you everything? And that those costs will affect the rhythms of our everyday lives, rhythms that become rather countercultural and potentially quite strange in the eyes of those who don't follow Jesus. This morning we're examining both of these kingdom realities, the value and then the costs. As we examine these, you'll see what all of this has to do with Vision Sunday, as we're calling it, and where I prayerfully hope the Lord takes us in the next year. Two questions this morning for Vision Sunday, 2023. Do you treasure the kingdom? Do you treasure the kingdom? And then number two, will you sell everything? Do you treasure it, and will you sell everything? First question, church, do we treasure the kingdom? You might recall from our Sermon on the Mount series that kingdom of heaven is basically synonymous with kingdom of God, with perhaps a bit more emphasis on place in the kingdom of heaven language. And Patrick Schreiner's summary definition of the kingdom of God is by far the best that I've seen. The kingdom of God is the king's power over the king's people and the king's place, the king's power 
over the king's people in the king's place. And this matter of the kingdom was extremely central to Jesus' ministry and message. It comes up all over the place, just in the book of Matthew, especially here in chapter 13. The challenge is that even for very seasoned Christians, this concept of the kingdom is often really fuzzy in our minds, even though we speak in glowing terms about it. We'll say, oh, it's, you know, it's all about the kingdom. You've got to invest in the kingdom, and on and on and on we will go. And then one person equates the kingdom with heaven, and another person equates it with the church, and another person equates it with social action, and then Israel, and then another person says, well, it's really about Jesus ruling in your hearts, and so on and so forth. There's this fuzziness. But the kingdom of heaven is broader than any one of those things in isolation. It's power, it's people, it's place, all of them relating back to and belonging to the king. Which helps us understand its great value, doesn't it? When you gain the kingdom, you gain the king's power, the king's people, in the king's place, all of which are outrageously valuable on their own, none more so than the king himself. But when you put all of that together, the value is just off, it's off the charts. You end up, look at this text, with value so great, verse 44, that should a man stumble upon a treasure like this in the field and truly understand its worth, he would cover it up and then joyfully go and sell all that he has to buy that field. Value so great, verses 45 and 46, that should a merchant searching for pearls find one with such great value, he would go and sell all that he has in order to buy it. And this isn't the great value that you find at Walmart. I know what you're thinking. Let's just name it. Not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I occasionally have a bowl of toasted O's in the morning. I enjoy a little bit of Dr. Thunder on a, on a hot day. But I understand the brand is very polarizing. This is not great value Walmart style. This is the real deal. We're talking about a real king, and we're going to get going a little bit here, just so you know. Okay, so buckle up. We're talking about a real king, Matthew chapter 1, in the very line of David. A king who became human just like us, and his parents called him Jesus. A king, Matthew chapter 2, whose birth fascinated a group of astrologers and magicians who came to see him, but enraged King Herod the Great, who tried to kill him. A king, Matthew chapter 4, who was tempted by Satan but sinned not, and in fact never sinned. A king who began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A king, Matthew 5, who went up on a mountain to teach, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A king, Matthew 6, who taught his disciples how to pray. A king, Matthew 8, who cleansed a leper and healed many others. A king who took the gloves off with some demons and scored a total knockout. A king, Matthew chapter 11, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
the king who spoke in parables, fed thousands of people, foretold his own death and resurrection, was transfigured upon a mountain, corrected religious leaders who were totally missing the point, entered Jerusalem on a donkey, overturned some tables, spoke of judgment and eternal fire and the separation of the sheep and the goats, shared a meal with his disciples, and spoke of pouring out his blood for many, for the forgiveness of sin, was betrayed by one of his own, and then arrested, mocked, and crucified, and buried. The king, Matthew chapter 28, who rose from the dead and told the two Marys, Greetings! Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me, a king who told his disciples on a Galilean mountain, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The king who then ascended to the presence of the Father, a king, Matthew chapter 24, who is coming back. S.M. Lockridge puts it way better than most. He says, this king, he's a miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available to the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. That's our king. Amen? Amen? We're talking about a real king who has power over a real people. People who are invited into real fellowship with the real king because Jesus came to give real life and real rest to sinful people who come on to, to come unto him, a, a real family we join when we follow Jesus, a king, Matthew chapter 12, who stretched out his hand toward his disciples saying, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, a family in which we're obligated to one another, fellow image bearers of God, a family in which those who are great, Matthew chapter 20, are those who serve, and whoever would be first must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, the King, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And church, we are talking about a real place, for now an in-between place, best described as wherever the king's powerful word goes out and people respond, a place filled with both mourning and laughing, with gladness and pain, a place where even though we're not yet in our final home, 
we, and I'm borrowing here from Jeremiah chapter 29, we build houses and we live in them and we plant gardens and we eat the produce and we take wives and have sons and daughters. A place where we care sacrificially for the sick and the poor. A place where we go forth and proclaim the king's message to those who will hear. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But eventually the king's people feast together at the marriage supper of the Lamb celebrating the king for his glorious return, establishing his reign and vanquishing all rivals. And the king will bring his people into the wedding hall of the new heaven and the new earth, the perfect place where the king's people laugh and are glad. But the suffering and the pain are totally gone. This is the kingdom of heaven. This king, this people, this place. This is the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom with greater value than we can possibly imagine. It's a kingdom that has actual texture, actual vibrancy to it. And you, this is quite the balm these days. For people who are just sort of floating around in the seas of disenchantment and, and boredom and malaise, if you're being totally honest with yourselves, thinking that maybe, you know, some advancement in VR or artificial intelligence will finally make life interesting again and reopen the doors to joy. And I really don't think it will unless you, you love that metaverse announcement from a couple of years ago when you're looking forward to playing card games while swimming around as an octopus avatar. I think this kingdom of God is quite the balm for people who have been making a go of things on their own, rejecting God and all of those people out there who have problems and have quite frankly been miserable. I think this is quite the balm for folks who thought they had community without God and without church. Thank you very much until a crisis hit and they realized just how superficial and consumeristic that community really was. I think all of this is quite the balm for people who feel as though they've blown it so badly, spiritually, relationally, and vocationally, that they're not even sure if life is worth living anymore. Imagine the contentment and the joy that would flood our souls if the Lord was pleased to help us treasure the kingdom for what it really is. Even, even a 25% upgrade. And you can be totally full of confidence this morning that this is exactly what the king wants to do. That is his will for you every single day. To take whatever your view is of the kingdom of God and elevate it, and then elevate it again tomorrow, and the next day. So my prayer for the City Church family this year, my hope, is that we might behold the great value of this kingdom more than ever before. That we might re-examine it and realize that that really neato crystal we bought from a rock shop at the mall is actually a 13 karat diamond.
And re-examination has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? What if we took, imagine this, what if we took a fresh look at Scripture this year and simply asked ourselves, what have I been missing? What if our, our primary prayer this year was something like, Lord, cast your kingdom into fresh light that I might truly see its beauty and its value? What if we committed ourselves to, to living in regular community with other Jesus followers and made it a point to consistently ask them, what, what am I missing? Where are my blind spots? Help me, help me see. And what if we ask these kinds of questions with a really humble, childlike inquisitiveness? Especially since Jesus told his disciples, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. I know that some of us this morning feel really whatever about those what-ifs. I understand that. You're rather uninspired because you're in a season of spiritual depression, or you're wrestling with doubt, or you're just really, really busy. But are we sure we want those feelings captaining our ship this fall? Listen, my, God bless her, my mom did not grow up playing sports or caring about sports at all. For example, she felt very whatever about baseball. But then she raised three boys who all played baseball, and her husband coached them. So two baseball games she went for many, many, many years. And you know what? I'm not making this up. You can ask her the next time she's here. She claims that she actually began to like the sport and that her neutrality gave away to genuine passion. She was basically forced by her circumstances to re-examine the game, and once she began to experience the sights and the sounds and, and the strategy and her incredibly athletic sons, just hitting home run after home run, you had to be there for it. We got so worn out by all the home runs, we had to eat these two-foot-long pixie sticks just to, just to recharge. Once she experienced this, she began to see the true value of the game, and her affections change. If we want to encounter the great value of the kingdom of God, I'm telling you that we won't just feel our way into it. We won't just feel our way into it, and the journey won't just fit into the cracks of our busyness. Some real energy and some real effort are required on our part as we engage Scripture and humble ourselves in prayer and commit ourselves to others sacrificially, trusting that the gap between the kingdom value expressed in Scripture and the value we're experiencing will close over time. And if you're here this morning and you would not say that you know this kingdom at all, if you're not a part of it, please know that I am pleading with the Lord on your behalf that you would see this kingdom for the treasure that it truly is. And then humble yourself like a child and embrace the king who very much wants to embrace you. I'm a sinner, you might say. Did you know that's precisely the population of people? 
that the king embraces. Nailed it. I'm a very great sinner, you might say. The king is a very great savior. A king whose blood of the new covenant brings forgiveness and atonement. And my prayer for you, here's how big I'm praying. My prayer for you is that you would become so enamored with this kingdom that you actually resonate with the Apostle Paul's yearning in Philippians chapter 1 to depart and to be with Christ in the ultimate kingdom place. For it is far better than anything we've got going on right now. You know, everyone wants to go to heaven tomorrow. But what if we became so enamored with this heavenly city that is to come, and the king will be worshiping there, that we truly do agree with Paul and yearn to go even today, which loosens our grip on the now and catalyzes other-centered generosity and mitigates excessive self-concern. That's what I'm praying for if you don't know Jesus. And this line of thought conveniently brings us to our second question. Will you sell everything? Will you sell everything? Church, our spiritual testimonies will differ from one another. Some of us will kind of stumble into the kingdom, perhaps more in line with the man in verse 44 who discovers this treasure in the field. Burying treasure was a primary means back in Jesus' day of, of storing wealth in lieu of banks. And unless you personally buried it, you really weren't finding it except by providence. Some of us will be like this man who stumbled upon the treasure. That will be our testimony. And some of us will search and we will search and we will search. The journey will be so protracted and, and then we'll find the kingdom perhaps more in line with the merchant of fine pearls and in verses 45 and 46, who searched and searched and finally found this, this holy grail of pearls. But notice what these stories do have in common. They both involve selling all they have to buy the field, to buy the pearl. Are we buying in the sense of buying our salvation. No, the king has done all of the necessary purchasing on account of his blood. Thank you very much. Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter 1. There's a lot of references in scripture to this. And clearly the perceived value of what the man and the merchant are receiving exceeds what they sold to get it. This is certainly not transactional. This is not even Stevens. This is not this for that. The whole point of them selling everything was that they were gaining something far better. I mean, maybe the man paid a fair price for the field, but the treasure buried in it really tilts the scales in his direction. Do you see this? So the purchasing is therefore sacrificing and reprioritizing that we might treasure the treasure. It's along the lines of what the king tells his disciples in Matthew 16. 
Verses 24 and 25, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The king's not looking for minimalism. And if you didn't hear about this, Marie Kondo basically recanted that whole thing anyway. Not looking for minimalism, that's not the point. He's not advising us, you know, to to spurn our families or neglect our children. We have all sorts of biblical exhortations to the contrary all over Scripture. Church, the king is looking for our hearts. He's looking for our hearts. And he's looking for our hearts so completely that it makes our affections for everything else seem like a vapor in comparison. How do we give him our hearts? By giving him everything else. By giving him our families, our jobs, our schooling, our time, our money, our devices our social media accounts, our vacations, all of it. And mind you, it's all his anyway. And when we give the king everything else, he'll do some rearranging. He'll do some reprioritizing. He'll do some relativizing that our hearts might be truly his without rival. All of which will begin to make us look a bit strange in the eyes of the world. Not strange because, listen, I don't, do people shop at Abercrombie & Fitch anymore? I have no idea. But when I was growing up, these t-shirts started popping up that said a breadcrumb and fish. If you're wearing that and people think you're strange, that's on you. Don't, <laughs> don't drag the kingdom of God into any of that. I'm talking about strange in the sense of the kingdom of God becoming the greatest treasure in our lives, the king, the people, the place, which thereby affects all of our rhythms and resources. And this strangeness will look different for different people based on life stage, based on geography, maybe even personality. We actually need to be really careful that we don't build this super-specific standard and then foist it upon all who want to be true Christians. To be very cautious there. The main thing is that our rhythms and our resources become vessels for worshiping the king and loving others sacrificially rather than a means of pursuing personal comfort and gratification. And I'll resist the urge to be too specific here, but of course, of course, this will show up in the way that we think about our vocational goals the places we choose to live, how we spend our Friday nights, the way we think about downtime and leisure, how immersed we are in youth sports, how much time we spend on social media and the content that we drop. Not because we're hoping to be super Christians, but because we've discovered the treasure in the field, because we've discovered the pearl of great price, and we are desperate for the king to do whatever he needs to do to clear the way for kingdom engagement and enjoyment. Desperate. 
if our lives look like everyone else's lives, there's no way we're treasuring the treasure, which actually means that we're sabotaging our experiences of the deep kingdom joy that's ours for the taking in Christ Jesus, which means that we're centering ourselves in a way that compromises the best interests of people around us, especially fellow citizens of God's kingdom who are vulnerable and marginalized. Followers of Jesus, what do, what do we need to sell this year? What do we need to sell this year? What is keeping you from treasuring the king and the king's people and eagerly awaiting the king's return, Hebrews chapter 9? What's in the way? And I want you to know that it is so, so worth it to sell. It is so worth it to sell. For in doing so, you are, you are enjoying something that is infinitely more valuable in Yosemite National Park and $423 million in a Lamborghini. If you want to follow Jesus, I want you to know that he would love to have you and that his blood is entirely sufficient for you. But are you willing to take up your cross Is the prospect of the kingdom of heaven so wonderful that you're willing to give the king everything to just present it to him and subject yourself to a bit of rearranging and reprioritizing? Are you willing to have the king hold tightly to you and all of your stuff and do what he wants with it? Life as you know it will not be the same, but you'll have the greatest treasure. And maybe it'll look something like when my wife and I were, we were doing seminary in Chicago, we got connected with this small group of people in our church, and it was led by this couple um, who were very invested vocationally. Um, the husband was a really kind of decorated ophthalmologist in the community. He was working at the University of Illinois, Chicago doing their careers with excellence. But they were so enamored with the kingdom of God that even as they worked hard into the glory of God, they were caring sacrificially for one of their children who had significant mental health concerns and lived with them. And they were opening up their home regularly, at least once a week, to people like us, young professionals who didn't know what in the world we were doing. And when the husband would get up and read the benediction at church, he could not, we called him the crying elder, because he could not read a benediction without crying. And then we were all crying. And they gave genera so generously into the life of the church and they checked on their neighbors. They knew all of their neighbors by name. And they knew when they were struggling, and they did what they could to serve their neighbors. 
they had a dog in part so that they could meet their neighbors at the dog park. That's the kind of lifestyle that I hope we see manifesting in the life of our church this year. Imagine what God would do if he would raise our affections for the kingdom of God by 25% and convince us to sell the things that are getting in the way of kingdom enjoyment and kingdom engagement. Amen.